You're listening to a Why Now podcast. This is Golden Nuggets podcast on whynow.co.uk. I'm your host, Al, and I'm a PE teacher of 15 years. This podcast is about interviewing key influencers in education and giving them a platform to deliver their story. I want to explore why and how they do what they do to better inform parents and pupils on their education journey. Okay, welcome back. We've got Russell Earnshaw here. Hello, Rusty. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. You well? Yeah, good, thanks. Um, we're going to be telling a, a st- storytelling podcast exploring the journey of influences within education and their impact on the children of tomorrow. Today, we are looking at the purpose of school sport. So um, do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit and where you're from, what you've done? Uh, yeah, cool. Uh, I'm from Middlesbrough, a long way from here. Uh, I... Um, uh, Oh, wow. So where do I start? Um, I, I played professional sports. I went to, actually, so before that, I went to Cambridge University. I know you're going to reference a study a little bit later. I uh, studied a bit of maths and economics. Um, off the back of that, obviously, went into professional sport, um, pre-academy type stuff. Um, played for Bath, um, had a lot of relatively early success, which probably wasn't ideal for me. Um, coached, started coaching with England Sevens. Um, then went into education, so spent two years teaching economics, and I continued to kind of tutor and help out with uh, scholarly type stuff. Um, after that, sounds like I've had a lot of jobs. Uh, I coached England 18s and 20s and uh, headed up coach development at the RFU in the Talent Pathway. And then for the last uh, 18 months or so, I've been working for myself across kind of education, sport, business, focused really around learning, development, people development. How can we, uh, probably one of my big things at the moment is around gamification. How can we take video game design stuff and bring it into the classroom, bring it on the sports pitch, um, rather than be fighting against computer games as an example. So hopefully that's a brief pricey of yeah, my no, life that's so great. Um, I suppose like what I'm really interested in, as I'm sure the listeners are as well, is, is when you were at school... How did school sport impact yourself? And how did it form you as a character? My, that's a big, that's a real big question. I'm loving that. Um, and obviously, I've got two kids, so I can see what they're currently experiencing. <laughs> uh, Is it a success? Or? Yeah, I mean, look, I've got, well, my son's in private education, my daughter's in state at the moment, and um, I would say the two provisions are, are vastly different. Um, for me, um, it was... Probably, you know, given me lifelong friendships. It's given me connections. Um, it definitely taught me lots of really useful skills. It's connected me up with uh, communities. So uh, when I first started playing rugby at 13, um, the headmaster at my school kind of connected me up with a local club and I went and played there. Um, it was also then that I watched the varsity match and that made me want to go to Cambridge. And um, I've definitely learned lots from kind of my experiences there um i actually found the rest of my professional career really hard probably because of my previous experiences if i'm honest so for me um i think there's a big divide between what is now professional sport and what should be sport for children so actually what's the purpose of children's sport clearly it's different to you know you only have to look at saracen's salary cap 
you know, drugs, cheats, people at the top end are finding any way to win. And I would find that very difficult to get right in my head, if I'm honest. For me, what two or three words would describe my experiences? Uh, joy, um, fun, friendships. Because I think friendships is actually a nice one to draw upon because... You know, we're talking about, you know, mental health nowadays and where is all that going and it's in the news every five seconds. But we are battling against a lot of external factors now that children are being influenced by. Um, what things do you think children are influenced by that may um, affect their participation in sport? Yeah, look, it's, it's definitely different times. So um, there's more options. Um, there's clearly computer games didn't exist when I was young. So that's why I'm probably really enjoying the gamification stuff because actually it's it's taking some of the principles of why kids are playing computer games and applying them to sport or applying them to the classroom. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's, I mean, the state school provision makes it harder and harder. Um, the sport that I've probably spent most of my life in rugby would have some challenges around the physicality of it, the, the stuff around concussions. I think as a governing body, the RFU probably need to become more, you know, more and more sports, in my view, need to become more adaptable to to the needs of the, of the people. So um, sports that are suddenly gaining a lot of um, kind of traction would be stuff like, and, you know, they're starting to see them in the Olympics. I think breakdancing's in the Olympics. So stuff like breakdancing, we see a lot of kids skateboarding, where they have autonomy where they have the ability to make decisions for themselves, where actually they can go out and do it when they want to do it, as opposed to what I see a lot of kids' sports now has become quite formalised, um, often transactional because there's now, I think we've, often it's been done to, to raise money for certain people. Mm. Um, so I think there's, yeah, look, I think it's, it's different times now. So what I see, and I'll, I'll talk briefly about rugby, I think we just need to be more... Adaptable. I think you should be able to get to 16 without having played conduct. Mm. Now, if you look at me and you, we would have both enjoyed conduct. Yeah, sure. And so clearly we would be able to do that as well, but also there would be some people that would benefit. Mm. So I see lots of kids and, you know, especially as they go growth spurt, teenagers, all that stuff going on and they're injured and, and they're lost to the game. Just very quickly on like the average school week for, you've, you've got two kids you mentioned. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the 14-year-old. Um, so they go to school, they come back after school, and what do they? What does their evening look like? Say Monday to Friday. Yeah, I mean Fred would have a lot of activity in the evening, so he would go and do various sports. He would still be doing multiple sports. Um, some of it would carry over into the evening because they got to get the exam results. Yeah, sure. <laughs> in their mind, uh, and and same with the weekend. So he would be actually really busy. He actually wouldn't have that much time to probably think, reflect, play as many video games as he would like. Yeah, sure. Um, Does he do something every night? So like Monday night he'll do this, Tuesday he'll do that. Yeah, he would do a fair amount of stuff, to be honest. It's not all sports, but he would do a lot of activity. So I think it's pretty, um, it's a full-on life. Yeah. I mean, I, my, when do they get time to think and... And all of that, yeah. and, and have time to just be kids sometimes. Yeah. I mean, that's that's for me the interesting part is like, okay, let's talk about the time that they have available to them and what do they do with that time. I mean, for, for me, when I was growing up, Tuesday, Thursday, be rugby training after school, Saturday, be playing for the school, Sunday, be playing for club. That was my week. But I had Monday, Wednesday, Friday as a bit of downtime. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, 
But I think having the downtime to reflect and process, maybe chat with my parents, like have also like thinking about the impact of nowadays society to especially living, you know, if you're living anywhere in the southeast, it's difficult. Two parents have to work, pay the mortgage. They're both at work. So then who's doing the pickup, the drop offs? How much time are they, you know, where are they at after that? I mean, every every case is different, but... Yeah, lots of the stuff that we would probably call mindfulness now, so uh, going out with your mates, climbing mm. trees, uh, pretending you're a soldier, <laughs> uh, building dens, um, would be pretty non-existent now. You know, you'd yeah. go and hang around with your friends on the street corner and mm. uh, pretend it's cool to do nothing. Mm. Um, and my daughter would have a, you know, same, we would be a bit more... She would do actually more sports than Fred. She'd be pretty full on after school because they don't do that much in school time. So they'd be pretty heavy around their curriculum and getting through it and passing some sats and all that type of stuff. Uh, they do the Daily Mile. I'm not sure how excited I'd be by the Daily Mile, if I'm honest. <laughs> and I guess that it's probably a relatively blunt instrument to solve the problem that is uh, kids don't do enough exercise. Interesting, my daughter is now completely obsessed with synchro swimming all right um so she rocks up with her two little uh, floating uh um, like water carriers and she goes upside down and she'll do that for two hours and then they'll do some land training which is dancing and and she loves it uh, she loves it because she's with her friends and with uh, so let's uh, sort of divulge a little bit into um obviously you've got the magic academy and the work that you've done with with that in terms of where, where did that form as well yeah, it became a way of, I mean, it originally started out as when we were at the RFU, a way of longitudinally connecting up people involved in coaching or education so that they could get better. My challenge to lots of places, and clearly the the easiest way to get better results in your school is to have better teachers. Mm. The easiest way to have better experiences for kids in sport is to have better coaches. Yeah, And so it was really a way of people longitudinally engaging in that and us connecting with people. What it then became is, yeah, I mean, the purpose is really around just creating better environments for kids, quite frankly. So how can we create environments that develop people for the future? Now, that might be sport. In lots of cases, it isn't sport. Mm. So, you know, I don't, I wouldn't know how many international players you've coached, but you would have mm. coached a lot of players. Mm. So a very small percentage of those you are preparing for, let's call it elite performance. Yes, yeah, right. Um, the vast majority you are preparing for the future mm. and what the world has ahead of them. And so... Um, what they, does what does the future look like? Yeah, look, I think thing? there's a few things. So a couple of things that have probably informed me. One is we were very... We, we spent some time looking at what are the skills for the future of rugby. So in the game of the future, what are the skills? And they'd be pretty similar across multiple sports. So creativity, so for me that's about solutions to problems. Awareness, resilience, which is clearly a big one. Decision-making and self-organising. So, And lots of skills that are clearly, clearly useful for life. You could also then start to look at stuff like World Economic Forum and look at where they think the, the skills are going to be required in the future. Are, and that is things like creativity, critical thinking, building rapport. Um, so... Um, I think, and clearly I would have some biases, that it's easier to do that in sport than it is in geography. Yeah. Uh, and so, and it's and it's often done well in sport. So sport done well, we are killing it. We are awesome at developing these skills and mm. bringing them out in people. Sport done badly, so number one. Um, and what I've heard is the number one link to being in a gang is shaming at a younger age. Mm. Sport done badly can often lead to that. Um, 
Sporting Bradley is, is, is not good. And then clearly the classroom, well, how many um, geography, history, maths teachers are going, well, you know, my focus for this term is developing resilience and creativity and critical thinking in the kids mm. versus how many are going, I just need to get through the syllabus as quickly as possible. And please, no one stop my lesson. So a good example of that. So obviously we're doing a lot of stuff in gamification and one of the things around video game design is the person playing it has the ability to pause. So how many kids, and I ask lots of kids, how many kids would want to pause a lesson? And for me, this is a bit around the mental health stuff as well. Mm. How many kids actually do pause a lesson? Because I tutor lots of kids who are sat at the back of lessons for three, four months, too scared to put their hand up, too scared to tell their parents, their brain's about to explode. So how can... I guess my work is really about how can I support sport and education on some little nudges that m hopefully will lead to some better outcomes further down the line. It's interesting because, uh, like, little examples of, like, you're talking about interventions there. Um, I use something called just a timeout, and they'll yeah. just need to reflect on it and need a bit of time to think and a bit of space. Sometimes they might ask a question based upon that, but I, I think it's these little nuggets now that how do you facilitate that? Because ideology is great, but what practical solutions have you got some examples of where it's actually worked? Yeah, so that's a, it's a great point. And um, so interestingly, I've gone into a lot of schools and gone, right, well, here's the principles, let's gamify a lesson. Um, uh, one of the first ones said, we need that time. So at the start of the lesson, we lead a reflection on the last lesson. First five, six minutes is us as students... Just check in, in with everyone, checking that they're on the same page, they can remember what we did last time. How often does that happen, kids? Never. I mean, however, what a brilliant suggestion. Second thing I'm thinking about is exactly what you said, even a teacher I know put a pause button on their whiteboard. Yeah. And he said, I've gone from kids never asking questions to I'm now having to limit the number of pauses. But at least I've got kids asking questions and thinking critically and, and checking for understanding. Um, probably another really good example that I, I really enjoyed was I was at uh, did an inset for a school recently, and I would talk a lot about how as <clears throat> so if we want creativity, if we want people willing to try stuff, then we've probably got to model it, and we've got to be probably relatively vulnerable. So, um, how many of you would deliberately make mistakes in lessons? And the teacher said, "Well, actually, Rusty, I started out and it wasn't um, it wasn't intentional, but I was making a lot of mistakes when I started to teach." And so what I now do is every lesson I make five deliberate mistakes. If they spot them, they get a point. If they don't, I get a point at the end of the week. The winners get a prize. It's me versus the kids. And they concentrate what, a lot. What's the prize? Uh, oh, chocolate or something. <laughs> cream egg. Cream egg around <laughs> Easter we'll time. Ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think there's some nudges. Um, I've, yeah, I mean, look, and, and I'm really, the timeout stuff you're talking about, I think is absolutely critical. I speak to lots of kids, mm. you know, why don't you put your hand up? I did once, I got told off, mm. or my peers would laugh at me. Mm. What kind of learning environment's that? Mm. And I also get that, <clears throat> so for me this is the skill of the teacher, that let's think about teenage boys. Actually, it's often teenage boys that are, you know, put my hand up, my mates think it's hilarious to take the mickey out of me. Actually, how can we help them better? Um, how can we model? How can we scaffold them around um, sharing positive feedback with one another as an example? Yeah. So one of the um, <clears throat> other gamification ideas that came up from a creative writing group was, you know, level, level two was um, take your piece of work, go and get three pieces of positive feedback from your peers. 
level four was something like find someone on level three and help them come up a level. Mm. So those skills, and once again, imagine if we could scaffold those skills into lessons. Imagine if suddenly we had kids thinking like teachers, helping other mm. kids. We'd be, I mean, my question would always be, and I'm going to ask you it, um, if you were... Um, if you knew what you knew now as a teacher, would you have been a better student back in the day? I mean, yeah, no doubt. Cool. And so, yeah. <clears throat> and it's your teacher preventing you from thinking like mm. a teacher. So actually, how can we get more people to think like coaches, to think like teachers? Um, and we, those are going to be useful skills for the rest of their life. I think what's also interesting is you said about facilitating the environment. And I think um, if we're going to do that as, as <clears throat> teachers or coaches... What I am really interested in is looking at the workplace of tomorrow. So yeah. if we're talking, um, even if we look at this place here, we've got upstairs, we've got an open space. People are very relaxed. It's a collaborative environment. It's also people have got their own projects that get distributed. So we look at, say, how it traditionally was, which is possibly a hierarchical and individual environment, that shift now by empowering them and allowing them to take responsibilities has been probably a big shift in, in education. My question to you is, whatever the culture is at the, in the establishment, is how do you gain their responsibilities to accommodate the values that they have? How do you facilitate the environment where they can prosper? Because you've mentioned like how to get them from level three <coughs> to level four. But what little other things do you do where you can align what you actually mean and what an action means to a value. What do you mean by that? Give me an example. So say, for example, like um, work rate. What does work rate actually look like? And obviously in the context of, say, rugby, we can rattle off loads of examples. Yeah. Um, you know, off the ball, like running off the ball, running. But what do you do, you know, around the breakdown, which doesn't actually impact the breakdown, but influence decision-making. But what do? You, but what I'm asking is, how do you facilitate work rate or say responsibility or discipline or whatever your values are into a session? How do you accommodate? It's quite a hard question to answer. Yeah, no, I don't no, no. It's um, and it's a. I mean, and that's what I think the purpose of school should be. So actually, if you go look on school websites, they will say, uh, you know, uh, when the kids leave, they're this is off. what they look like, yeah. type stuff. And how often are those referenced? And mm. And how often do we celebrate those versus, mm. you know, the very small percentage of kids that win some stuff? Mm. Um, and how do we then, as staff, um, understand the skills required? So it might be, I'll go back to, you know, creativity, then it might be actually that we celebrate people getting stuff wrong because mm. they're going to learn from it. It might be that as a, as a teacher or a coach, we think about... How do we start our lessons or how do we greet people so that they come in there with an, an open mind and a desire to solve problems? It might be how do we interact with the kids away from there? Um, it might be how do we remove hierarchy? Because actually us modelling it and us behaving like it would be quite important. That would be something I would challenge a lot of schools on. Mm. Um, I would ask the kids. Mm. I would get them to start to think about ways it could be developed I would 100% also go the key people are the parents as well. So, you know, as you'd know, if, you know, there's all well and good, you know, talking about this is the skills, these are the values, this is what we want to develop in young people. But if, if mum and dad are expecting, you know, three A stars and at all costs, 
And I'm not saying they're two mutual exclusives. Actually, mm. what your Cambridge thing will say is that actually, mm. and I would say is actually if we give people these skills, if they are self-aware, if they're resilient, they're able to deal with setbacks, if they are creative and able to solve problems, if they're able to self-organise and work as that group of people are working upstairs collaboratively to solve a problem, then they'll probably do better in their exams as mm. well. So for me, it's... Um, if I was to give one piece of advice to schools, it would be to think more longitudinally. Mm. You've often got them for at least five years. That's a really, really long period of time. Mm. Um, and to think more individually. So what is um, resilience for you and the stuff that would, you know, might make you wobble would be different to me, would be different to other people. And so getting to understand them and listening to them and asking good questions... You know, I, I love the, you know, questions like, you know, what one thing uh, could you tell me about yourself that would help me coach you better? And I just want more insight into how I can, you know, which feedback's working for you, which feedback's having impact. Because yeah. is the red pen stuff, is that working for you? Something I played around a lot with when I taught was just not putting marks on stuff because people then don't get excited about mastery, in my opinion. They'll go nine, brilliant, file it away, two, terrible... Mr. Renshaw's not teaching us this very well. Yeah. Uh, and just playing around with stuff like that, really. Mm. Um, and the last thing, so what I see in schools, and I'll often go, look, I'm zero, Al's 10, stand on a line of where you are in terms of collaboration yeah. in your department. And it might be five or six, if we're lucky, across the school. No one's above five. Yeah. So how can you um, support your teaching group with not even like the one-off you know two-off cpd things how can you make it longitudinal how can you have a lightning talk every friday morning yeah. where two or three people put forward some good stuff that's been going on um how can you have some little teaching whatsapp groups or some challenge cards for teachers soon coming out so that longitudinally as well as you running a lesson me running a lesson where we're trying to help the kids get better we've got a a focus for us on how we're getting better as well and mm -hmm. and we should feel a little bit nervous about lessons yeah no definitely i'm going to just draw upon that study um because i've not actually mentioned it yet but um i think it's also important because it's great to have opinions but like to make sure that we reference as well so the university of cambridge did a study in march 2019 and it was based around sport and academic performance and they measured 4,000 undergrads. And these uh, students all had uh, achieved a blue, half blue or club colours between 2005 and 2016. The research showed that uh, the first class results achieved by undergraduate sports people was 28.4% and was greater than the percentage achieved by undergrads in the university as a whole, which is 23.7%. Um, upper second class results with sports people was 63%. If they, a university as a whole was 51.8%. So just those two statistics there, there is a, 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 you would say, probably a significant difference enough to say that there's probably a correlation there. Yeah, look, and um, having been to Cambridge and spent the first three months ringing my parents, asking them to come and pick me up because it was so hard. Um, <laughs> I can relate to the fact that the stuff that helped me was, and I'm, you know, I'm a, a one-person sample size, I know mm. that, but was having uh, lots of friends who could help you, having that escape of rugby, and actually being having to be quite good at multitasking and organising my time so that mm. um, I got some stuff done. 
Um, I can definitely remember looking at other kids and thinking, wow, it must be pretty boring just sitting in the library all day. <laughs> and also lots of those, you know, so I definitely would have learned some skills around problem solving from sport. And I was definitely thinking lots of people leave school and I, I still think they struggle to understand um, how they learn best and what works for them. So I think they often do what they've always done. So I see a lot of people that are quite ill-prepared for for university. So a couple of kids I taught um, back in the day, 2015, messaged me uh, one a couple of years ago and one relatively recently. One was about, I now get it, like when I went to uni, I wasn't prepared. Actually, the way you were teaching was trying to prepare me for that. Like, they need to take responsibility, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, turn the photocopier off. Why are the teachers just giving kids handouts yeah. all the time? <laughs> um, and the second one was, I now get it. So actually, I, I really appreciate uh, the fact that you made it challenging for me because and this was a, I mean, when I, this was a pretty surprising one because I would have had quite a sticky relationship with this person. So she wouldn't want to be challenged in the way I would want her to be challenged. But she's got a way, she's got a first, she's got a dream job. And so I also think that it's um, appropriate stretch in school for the kids that can, you know, need stretching. Well, all of them need stretching. And then it's the support around that as well. Mm. Balance of support and challenge. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it is. I mean, that study doesn't surprise me. No, no. I think also, like, it's just good to have something there of substance. Like, because, you know, everyone who's a sportsman will always say it and you'll always have mates who have done really well from it. So I went to St John's. And at the time, there was, you know, there was a lot of sports people at the college. Um, and we were second in the league table of academic results. They subsequently changed their focus from sport to more academic. They're not second in the league table anymore. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, it's, it makes sense to me. I get that, you know, for other people, they, they think that actually more time spent on task doing something is going to lead to better outcomes. I just think we get, we just got better thinkers here. But also, like, if we talk about efficiency and productivity, I know there's, like, different parts of the world now that are working towards more of a four-day week and they're looking at reducing hours so that families can spend time together rather than having the traditional European 40, 45, 50 hours, sometimes 60 hours a week. And actually, you know, is there something to be said actually about having a bit more quality time with your friends and family for your own mental health and actually increased productivity that comes from it as well? Yeah, I mean, it's... um don't tell my wife, by the way. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, look, that's the, I mean, that's the dream, isn't it? So I'm now self-employed and really trying to strike that balance and get that right. Uh, but whether, you know, spending time with your family gives you energy. It helps mm. you out. It's, you know, it's, it's there. Um, it's the them as well. So it, um, it is becoming more and more difficult. We've become quite a, you know, a lot of people are on the hamster wheel and, you know, the, the outcome of this we'll probably see in 10, 15 years with the mm. kids that come through that process. So um, I would want to be, you know, as and when I get time to be at home, be as present as possible. Um, I would be always thinking about how are we doing, how are we preparing our kids for the future? Mm. Um, and that might be intentionally having some little road bumps. I definitely have debates with my wife around it. I would, I would want stuff to go wrong for my kids. Um, I would want to get out of the way of them as much as possible. But also, as we were discussing earlier, I've also got to be mindful that uh, my 14-year-old son, um, I know I know some stuff uh, about some stuff that he doesn't know yet, so I also need to help him with that decision-making stuff. Mm. 
Um, I am 100% thinking, because he's going to be pretty desperate to escape at 18, you know, we need him to be ready to survive in the world. Because mm. it's, a, it's a tough old place these days. Mm. Well, it's an ever-changing landscape as well. Like jobs, what, in five years we don't know of yet, maybe? 40% is it? I don't know. Yeah, well, there's there's, there's people whose job it is to, to troll, troll the internet looking for stuff that needs to be taken off the internet. I mean, quite frankly, there's jobs that we would have never imagined 20 years ago. Now, I'm not wishing that job on anyone. And I mean, without going into too much politics, you know, we're going to change our <clears throat> immigration stuff and points-based system, and mm. and that's going to change our the jobs available in our country as well. well. It's interesting. Now we're doing a podcast, right? Podcasts weren't really a thing maybe five or ten years ago. They were, but they weren't. Now it's all of, all of us, you know, sort of become very trendy. Uh, and now we're here in a studio doing a podcast because... For marketing reasons as well, there's there's more impact with using a podcast. But now there's a fleet of people here to accommodate that, which is new jobs as well. well there's a couple of things I'm thinking of. One is I work with a business, uh, Tyler Grange, an ecology and landscape business. I know nothing about it, so I'm able to call myself a naive expert. Um, one of the things that actually they're now starting to shape university stuff. So they've looked at what are the requirements of being an ecologist now. Now, historically, it was probably doing bat surveys. And actually, the reality now is it's, it's business development. It's dealing with clients. It's leading meetings. It's critically evaluating stuff. Well, none of that's covered in the course. So actually, what they've done is go to a few unis and go, look, actually, this will be really useful. And so the unis are starting to adapt their courses in the same way that I think of sports. So, uh, you know, there'd be a lot of analysts in the world I existed. Yeah. Now, they're analysis degrees are fairly heavy around coding and measuring stuff and so when I speak to someone like Kaz who's first team rugby analyst you know and what's your number one skill you need influence I need to be able to influence other human beings yeah. I, I, I mean there's loads of people can measure stuff what Kaz is an expert in is going actually probably what do we need to measure and what don't we need to measure but actually how do I then influence coaches how do I connect how do I build rapport it's not on any analysis degree. Mm. So I do think that hopefully, you know, well, or you don't go to uni, but if people are going to uni, then certainly the businesses that they're going to should be thinking about, well, how do we shape the course to help support these kids with their mm. transitions? It's interesting you met, you mentioned that because I actually used to be an analyst and I was at Bath around when John Connolly was there and I was the Bath first team analyst for a year and actually it's interesting you say that now analysis has moved on a great deal since they you know that was 18 you were just years using ago. a pen and paper and it was it was, it was a bit more than notational analysis <laughs> which was which was what they used at England in the 19s but it was still we had sports code and we were coding but the coding information actually it, it measured a few metrics and actually the biggest impact was then how did I then present it to the players and then my presentation skills. Now, being like just out of uni, I was an absolute nervous wreck thinking I've got to present to this guy who's like 50 years old, 40, and then all the players are all international players. And I'm thinking, why did, why did they going to listen to me? Do you know what I mean? And then how, how am I getting the self-worth and self-confidence? And, and how was that encouraged when I was at university and was at school? Was encouraged? And that's the thing. It was very much do as you're told, get on with it, persistence, work hard, fail, I mean, I would say perseverance is something I got from it because I failed a lot. Yeah. But I never got shown, like, in terms of how did self-confidence improve. Maybe my self-confidence improved because of persistence, because of perseverance, because I failed a lot. 
but I never had to do a lot of presentations where I'd go up in front of people who were industry experts and they would analyse everything I would say. Because in professional sport, it's, you, you sink or swim, right? Well, I was just in, in England camp this morning and uh, Simon Amor was presenting his stuff and Kaz was there in front of a full room of international players and Simon asked Kaz a question. And he had to know the answer yeah. like that yeah. in front of a group of internationals, which is like, whoa. <laughs> um, yeah, and what you say is exactly right. Is actually there's there's loads of data out there. You can get data on anything. It's probably understanding what's the the key data that's going to make a difference, and it's then how do we engage with data? How do we bring it to life? How do we connect people up with it? And I know they've had a salary cap breach. However, I think Saracens would do it well. They would collect more data than anyone, but they would then think about, well, actually, how do we deliver it? What are the stories we tell? Who tells the story? So they've had, like, magicians and comedians in and deliver some of their stuff. And, you know, I would often ask professional sports people, oh, what's the most impactful meeting you've been in? And I'm met by a pretty empty set of eyes. Um, and, however, Saracens would make stuff memorable. Yeah. It would stick. Tell me about, have you, have you heard a story about a magician going in? Like, what did they yeah, do? Yeah, they've had magicians deliver, they've had uh, comedians deliver, they would bring in, you know, the wolves and the, and the snakes and stuff, <laughs> and whoa, type stuff, and they would want to connect up emotion with learning as an example. Yeah. Um, I, I love, you know, magicians are really interesting. I've, I've spent a bit of time, so there's a couple of things to think about with those, like a related world for a, for a, for a teacher as an example. So... If you're a magician, you've actually got to be able to tell a story so that other people then tell the story. Oh, I saw that amazing magician. Oh, I was in that amazing geography lesson and this. Um, the thing I love about comedians and where I think it's a really good related world for coaches and teachers is no one gets more immediate feedback. <laughs> oh, my God, they didn't laugh at my joke. How am I going to adapt? So if you want to see a profession that have to notice their audience, check levels of engagement and then adapts or leave the stage really quickly, then that there they are. So actually, the best coaches, the best teachers I see, they're actually, they're exactly like that. Mm. They've got a plan, they've got a direction of travel, but actually they're able to adapt to the people in front of them. Change the pathway. Change the, yeah, change the picture. Mm. I think, you know, if we are going to look into the future and you've got, you know, your 14-year-old boy and he's a grown man, um, what character traits from sport has he managed to acquire? Cool. Can we? Should we do three each? Yep. Um, we'll go alternate. Do you want to go first or second? Uh, I'll go first. Cool. So I've given you choice. That's the number one motivator for a coach. So you're feeling pretty pleased with yourself. <laughs> um, I'll go perseverance. I would uh, probably similar. I would go resilience. The ability to deal with setbacks and, mm -hmm. and get on with it. Um, Often what I see at the moment is we we help them too much mm. and we don't allow the struggle. Um, and then we don't support them with solutions for the struggle if they need it. Mm. So, yeah, that would be my probably my most important one. Interestingly, so small story, we do a lot of stuff at Worcestershire Cricket where we co-create the sessions with the parents because we want them to understand some of that stuff. And the kids get to choose like the area of focus for the session. They pick creativity. Mm. The parents are desperate for resilience. So every time mums are going, oh, have you uh, thought about the resilience stuff? Because they realise that that is what the world of the future is going to require. Mm. What's your second one? I'll say adaptability. Oh, man, strong. Yeah. Why? Why? 
Um, I just think because I mentioned before, like ever changing landscape, I think the world, we don't know what's going to happen in five years. So if we haven't got the skill set to change and adapt, we're going to, and we haven't got perseverance, you're not going to be able to do anything. Yeah, so that would be creativity for me. So I tell the story a lot. Mike Beale, Rangers manager. Mike, why didn't you make it as a footballer? Because at 18, my left foot was 18 and my right foot was three. Mike lacks, he's a great guy. Mike lacked skill. So mm. Mike was unable to solve problems. So we need to help people have multiple uh, ways of solving problems. In order to do that, we need to think of ourselves more as teachers and coaches as problem setters. So if you um, see the lads upstairs and the lasses, they'll be they'll be solving some problems collectively. Mm. Uh, what I see in lots of uh, coaching and teaching environments is people that are just honestly just telling the kids the answer to the question. Mm. And I mean, think about matches. They're just on the sideline shouting the answer out. I mean, <laughs> once story. again, compare it to the classroom, <laughs> how ridiculous would it be to have some parents shouting answers into the maths classroom you'd think it was ridiculous but that's what we do yeah. so um, yeah for, for similar to me creativity which would be around can we solve problems are we adaptable I think that, that for me as well the third one is actually something that's probably just undervalued massively is just how to be kind yeah mate you're getting all the same stuff as me and it's just like we just forget don't we like you know it's so important to know understand oneself and to be happy if you're happy within yourself, you can then be kind and being kind to people. Like so much stuff going on in the media at the moment about just people, Twitter feeds and all the rest of it. And it's just, when do people reflect on themselves and go, you know what, what is what is going on? Would I treat myself that way? Yeah. Would you say that to your mum or your dad or your granddad or your grandma? Or yeah, so, so that's one thing that I think sport definitely does well. So my experience, I've generally worked in team sports, is actually you have to work out how to... Interact with people who are different to you. Um, I love the quote, I do not like that man, I must get to know him better. Abraham Lincoln, I think it's uh, the more time we spend trying to get to understand other people, their, their background, their story, how can we get the best out of them, how can we be kind to them. Um, yeah, it's, sport does that brilliantly. Yeah. Um, and like nothing else. And so I would have, and my wife always takes a mickey at me, but... The majority of my friends are from sport. Now, clearly I've spent a lot of time in sport, but they are people that I've had some pretty tough times with, some amazing yeah. times with, some, you know, and some of them I remember, you know, first time I met them, I was thinking, we're not going to get on, but sport brings people together and helps you understand, you know, I get to go to so many cool places around the world, in the UK, and just, like, sport connects me with other people. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... I think it's the biggest legacy we could leave because, mm. however, the flip side of it is if we become, we, we now starting to see sport as them versus us. It's become quite tribal in the same way politics or Twitter have become quite tribal, them versus us. And so actually, I, and, and uh, this would challenge a lot of people's thinking, but you know, when we rock up as a under 13, under 14 match, Surely we should be thinking collaboratively with the other coaches about how do we create an awesome environment for these kids? How do we create the best possible experience for all of these kids? So 80-0, no one wins. You know, actually, we, we get rid of some kids from sport pretty quickly. Um, so I think that whole, and Jamie Williams speaks well about it, you know, it, we should be creating experiences for kids, not events. Mm. And often it's become a, a match day event and it's, you know, you're coaching one team, I'm coaching the other, it's me against you. Yeah. 
how often do you see coaches standing together, smiling, <laughs> looking like they're having a good time? It's funny, actually. I was doing that with my mate. He's at Tiffin, and he was like, yeah, let's just have a chat. I was like, how's it going for you? Yeah, all right. These are problems we're facing. It's like your boys look quite good there and looks yeah. as though they're doing the right stuff. And it's interesting you say that because it's, then, it's, then it's perception, isn't it, of, of your influences and your sphere of influence and what their perception is and how well educated they are and their experience within sport. And then how can you breed empathy and compassion amongst that process as well and getting everyone on the same page? And so you might at that stage have to have had some conversation with parents because they might be looking over at you two and going... Well, these guys don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, we're just, uh, what's the uh, we're, we're doing skillful neglect. Mm. So actually the two of us are just chatting so that the kids can organise some stuff themselves. But mm. once again, you know, the, the, the nature of parents these days is we probably do need to chat to them before and go, look, or, mm. or we ask the kids, mm. what would make this an awesome game for you? Mm. Number one answer, just be quiet. Just leave us alone. Yeah, it's a silent approach, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we do. I don't talk at a match day. I don't do, actually do anything. Yeah. I let you go around and go, you all right? Yeah, cool. Everything all right? Where's the physio? It's just over there. Uh, Arsenal women did a um, piece where they got their players to write letters to their parents on how their behaviour like makes that. them feel. Well, that was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's on the responses yeah, from that. Yeah. I, got it to, I got my daughter to do it the other week. I said, oh, if you could write a list of stuff for how you would want parents to behave at a match, just write it on a whiteboard. And, and I would do that at most games. I think it would be really useful. And, and she wrote, uh, don't be an embarrassing parent. Mm. Uh, tell, them, tell them what they did well. Uh, have a hot dog with them after, you know, just mm. simple. Just be kind. Just be kind, yeah. Easy. It's pretty easy, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, Look, well, thanks so much for coming in today, Rusty. I really appreciate your time. Um, unless you wanted to have a chat. I mean, we could natter all day, couldn't we? I mean, let's face it. Yeah, no, I appreciate you it. allowing me to come in on a train and spend some time catching up with all my admin. It's been very <laughs> useful for me. Well, uh, I hope it's, uh, yeah, been beneficial. And uh, thanks very much for coming. And well, uh, I'm sure I'll be seeing you soon anyway. Cool. No Cheers, doubt. dude. Thanks very much.